Today, we're wrapping up our series that we've called um, One of the Twelve, and I've, like I said, thoroughly enjoyed this series. It's been focused on Judas, and the Bible refers to him as one of the twelve, and of course, the one who betrayed Jesus, our, our Savior. Um, it's amazing to me, after going through this series, the similarities that we find and that we see when we compare the man who betrayed Christ to us. That's amazing to me. I've always kind of looked at Judas as like, gosh, I bet he feels bad. But yet, the similarities are there. <clears throat> and when Pastor Dustin and Devin and I discussed this series, the thought and the topic that I am going to talk about today is the one contribution that I really had to the whole series and the one that stood out to me the most. So I want to dive into the word today. Let's talk about the last chapter of Judas's life in Matthew chapter 27 it says, very early in the morning, uh, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. And then they bound him, they led him away, and they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And then it says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized now that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He regretted it. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. I've sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. <clears throat> and then Judas threw the silver coins down into the temple and went out and hanged himself. Judas's guilt um, was extremely heavy. His shame was too much for him. Um, and today, I'm only talking to those who are having a problem getting past your past, getting over the shame that you feel. And if you don't have a problem getting over your past, we're glad you're here today, Jesus. <laughs> but if you're being honest with yourself, we all have problems sometimes with shame and getting over our past. This is the one thing that God created us to never feel. Did you know that? I find it interesting that God actually designed us to be without shame. That was his original designed to be without shame. And let me take you to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, the very last verse in chapter 2, only two chapters into the word of God, says the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not, everybody say not, they were not ashamed. Now God could have said almost Really anything at this point, you know, they were in the garden, they were naked and all that kind of stuff. They knew no fear. Maybe they, they knew no pain. He could have said anything. I also find it interesting that right before they sinned, right before they disobeyed God, right before they failed, he says they had no shame is what he said. But then you know the rest of the story, of course, because we only go one more verse into chapter three now, 
Um, and man has already jacked things up. God comes looking for them, of course, after that happens. And what does he find? He finds them sewed fig leaves together and uh, to cover them and cover their nakedness. And, and, and they are now ashamed. They're now ashamed because they've disobeyed God. But originally, God designed us to feel or not to feel shame. My point here is this. He never wanted us to encounter shame. He certainly didn't want us, guys, he certainly didn't want us to live with shame. And God forbid that anybody would take it so far as to take their own life because of shame. That's not what he wanted. Judas couldn't get by it. All the shame, like shame like it always does, it takes over your life and it ruins it. And today's message, I want to say, and I want to call it way bigger, way bigger than my shame. Way bigger. <clears throat> I was about nine years old. And um, my, I'll just set the tone a little bit. My father was, Brent, a, a disciplinarian. Um, <clears throat> He had a, a thin leather black belt, didn't he, Dan? Well, whosoever it was, it was, it was uh, useful to them. And um, I didn't ask him whose it was when he pulled it out. But Dan knows Whose it was. If I would have known it, I would have went and hit it. But anyway, nine years old, and my dad, he brought us up in a strict way. I don't regret a second of it. Um, there was no back talk. I mean, no back talk. In fact, if, you th if he thought you were going to back talk, that was not good. Um, <clears throat> you do what you're told and not after 15 questions, not after a question, one, you do what you're told. <clears throat> um, some of you who, and Walter knows my father, uh, he had this way about him and if he, he, he had a soft... When you really he had a soft heart, but boy, he could make you think he was going to kill you. <clears throat> and he, it, it, the rule was you treat people with respect. Didn't matter who it was. If it was, certainly if it was a policeman or a teacher, my goodness, if you ever heard that you did some, said something smart or whatever back to a teacher, that was over, Jenna. It was, I was done and I say that because she's a teacher, not because she would do something like that. <laughs> and my goodness, if he ever heard a curse word out of us, holy cow, my goodness, we were dead. John, um, we just didn't do it. We did not, we did not do that. And I mean, for me, 
it was almost nowhere. And if I ever thought, oh my gosh, I mean, it was just, you just didn't do it. You didn't curse. It was the fear factor. Now, my brother Stan, um, the hardest working guy that I know in my life, um, this guy, from the time he was just a young teenager, uh, stepped into my dad's construction business and just, I mean, you, every single thing, Jen, he, he did it. I mean, uh, you know, I'm talking about tar and hot roofs and, and uh, putting, you know, roofing on and, and putting, going up into a hot attic on a hundred degree day with insulation and itching and all that kind of stuff and, and putting, building new houses, building additions onto it, putting in kitchens and baths, doing, I mean, uh, concrete work. I mean, every single thing didn't matter what, how hot it was. He was out there, he was doing it and he's done it ever since he was a kid. And the guy knows everything about construction. He can do anything. He knows how to do it. Uh, um, his business is thriving because of it, of his hard work and because of all the knowledge that he has ever since he was a kid. And somehow Stan got like hooked into, um, it seems to me like anyway, at least uh, a lot of the work around the house. And I know Dan was the oldest, but he was already moved on and working whenever I saw a lot of this stuff. And Stan was... I mean, I don't know how he got rooked into this, uh, Dan, but every day he would have to go in and cook dinner. Like my mom worked, my dad worked, and he would be the guy that he'd have to stop playing and he had to stop whatever he was doing, get out of the pool or whatever it was to go in and cook. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not him. Well, because of it, he's like the best cook of the three of us. He's awesome cook. He does awesome with that. And he's just, he's just an awesome guy. And, and I'm building him up a lot because of what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, but one day, Dan, you were gone. You were working. And you remember in the, 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 we had a pool. And every year, that thing we did, I don't know why we didn't buy a cover or whatever it was, but it, it, allergy, you know what I'm talking about, throughout the year, we'd get in there and they'd have to empty the pool out and then get in there and scrub all of the allergy off of the bottom and get the pool all nice and sparkly, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, one day it was super hot and it was Dan, Stan was chosen again to be out there scrubbing on that and hot day and he's scrubbing and he's scrubbing and he's scrubbing at it and and I'm nine years old right and he, I'm, I'm walk out and he's hollering at me and I walk out and he says Steve hand me the hose that's all I had to do was was handing the hose that's all I had to do but I was a brat kid and he's in there sweating like crazy just going at it and I said, no. <laughs> I have no idea why I did that to him. But I said, no. And he says, Steve, hand me the hose. All I want to do is rinse out what I've been working on. Hand me the hose. I said, no, get it yourself. I was right there. I could have picked it up, Heath. And just handed it to him. I was right there. It wasn't like it was work for me. And all of a sudden, the most colorful four-letter words start coming out of Stan's mouth. 
and my eyes got as big as silver dollars. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no way. You didn't just say that. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're mine forever. <laughs> Stan became my chauffeur <laughs> at nine years old. And not just nine, 10, 11, I'm not kidding. Whatever I needed, he was my genie in a bottle, man. If I wanted to go somewhere and he was, you know, asleep at night, I wanted to go over to my buddy's house or something, you know, Stan, would you take me over there? No, I'm telling dad, okay. And I go over. While that may be a funny story in my past, I believe that there are some people here in this room and you've got something in your past and it's not all that funny. I don't mean like when you were just a kid, like what I'm talking about. I mean like last month or last week or even last night. Every person in here today, there's probably something in your past, some episode, some event that you wished had never, ever happened. We all, guys, we all make mistakes and do things that we know that we shouldn't. And it's so easy to go around with this heaviness, with this feeling bad about ourselves. But living guilty, guys, I'm telling you right now, doesn't do anything productive in your life. Uh, It doesn't help you do anything better. In fact, it causes you to struggle more. Guilt and shame drains you emotionally and physically. It'll wear you out. when we're full of shame, it's so crazy. We don't pursue our dreams because of a lack of confidence. When we're full of shame, we don't believe to overcome the challenges that, that, that we face in our lives. We get stuck. And this is why the enemy of our hearts and souls works overtime in this area of our lives, right here in shame. This is where he puts in overtime, triple time. He knows that shame and guilt will keep you from fulfilling God's purpose or you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. There's nothing, uh, nothing, there's nothing he would love any more than for you to go through your life fighting against yourself focusing on your own failures and feeling unworthy. In the Bible, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And he'll remind you, he'll remind you every time he can of all the wrong that you've done. He'll go back 30 years. Before you get out of bed in the morning, he'll, re- he'll, he'll replay mistakes that you've made in your life, how maybe you haven't been there for your children or, or how you lost your temper one time or how you gave into temptation another time. And I want you to listen to me close. This is super important. If you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. I want to go into the God's word today to help us with this shame thing and this guilt that we carry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the very first word, I want everybody to repeat it, anyone. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Anyone. 
anyone, that's you, that's me, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. These are not my words. This, I say this all the time. This is God's word. This is what he said. Today, somebody needs to set aside or step out of the past. Somebody needs to step out of your shame, step out of your guilt in order to step into your destiny. There's someone here who needs to step out of your past and realize my first point today, and that is that in Christ, everybody say, in Christ, in Christ, I am completely forgiven. Wow. Everybody just take a sigh of relief. When Crystal and I first got married, not too long after we got married, I, we finally dove into buying our first car, first brand new car. And um, it was, everybody buy a new car? Anybody ever buy a new car? It is the worst experience I've ever, I, I hate buying new cars. Sorry, car salesmen. I, I, I just hate buying a new car. And I've only bought one new car because of it. <laughs> But I bought this Mazda 626. I think what year was it? 85 or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but it was a neat little car. For that time, it had some pretty neat little snazzy things, an oscillating, uh, what do you call it? For the air conditioner? How's that for back in 85? It was cool, man. And after all the pain of going through and buying that thing, you know, just we, we enjoyed it and really liked it. And it lasted for... Uh, I think we had almost 300,000 miles on it. We gave it to somebody and they ran it too. <clears throat> but um, I took that brand new car. It was, it was, it was when the front wheel drive started first coming out. And, um, and I was at work one day with it. And it was a snowy day. It just started snowing really bad. And um, they let all the people go home. It was, it was you know, it was, one, it was a pretty bad storm. It, Probably uh, by the time I got out of work that day, I was the last one out the door, and I walked out, and there's nobody in the parking lot, my car, right there. And it had snowed probably five, six, seven inches by then, and I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to just try this baby out. Four, I mean, two-wheel, front-wheel drive, it says it's supposed to handle it in snow good. Yeah. So I put it in reverse, and I well, let's go. You know, I take it. I get around the corner. I'm probably going about 25 miles an hour in the parking lot. And all of a sudden, I turn the corner of the building and I see one truck, John. There's one pickup truck there. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm kind of heading towards that pickup truck. So I hit the brakes. And what do you do when you hit the brakes in snow? <laughs> you accelerate, don't you? I just hit I just like went into warp speed and went right at that truck. And I hit that truck and moved it in. My little Mazda moved that big old pickup truck about two feet over into the snow. Didn't damage that truck hardly at all. But it just ripped back my left quarter panel of that brand new Mazda 626. And I remember looking at that thing, just bought it, sick to my stomach, Shay. Um, I had wrecked, wrecked it, and I remember beating myself up all night long over something silly like that. Finally, 
I fell asleep that night, and I woke up, kissed my lovely new bride, and we had some breakfast, and I kissed my newlywed bride again. We were newlyweds. And, uh, and then got dressed for work, got my briefcase, walked outside, and I saw my new car all wrecked, and I completely forgot about it. And it just reminded me, you know, I walked outside, and then I'm all the way to work. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe I did this. And got to work, and, and you know, how it gets at work. You get busy and all that kind of stuff. Got caught up in the day, and it's time to leave, and completely forgot. And I walked out, and one more time, reminded me of the accident and the wreck that I had, how I had wrecked this brand-new Mazda 626 it didn't matter how, how good of a day I was having. Every time I would see that doggone wrecked car, which by the way, I stupidly did myself, it made me sick. And that's how it can be in our own lives. Um, if, we, if we've got something that we can't shake in our past, um, we, we could be having the best day. I mean, something, everything would be going just great, and all of a sudden, uh, we'd see somebody, or we would, we would see something, or hear something, or whatever, that reminds us all over again of our past, and all of a sudden, we've been overcome again, once again, with guilt and with shame. How many know what I'm talking about? Because of something that we did in the past. And if that's you here today, I'm telling you something. I can relate to that. I understand. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is this, that in Christ... In Christ and nowhere else, nowhere else do you get this, but only in Christ, you and I are completely forgiven, completely. The reason that we feel so condemned, many of us, is because we know, we know who we really are. Isn't that right? Um, we not only know the sins that other people see us or have saw us do or caught us in or whatever, we know the sins that we committed that nobody else knows about. We know the thoughts that we contemplate in our mind that nobody else knows about. And every single person in this room wonders about this, if, it's really, if they're truly being honest with themselves. If people really knew, if people really knew who I really was, would they really love me? I'm going to tell you something, and Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, so now there is no, and everybody say no, and no means no. I look it up everywhere in Greek and Hebrew and everywhere else. No means no. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You know, <laughs> you know what that means? That means that he knows about your sin. That means that he, he knows about the affair. That means that he knows about the abortion. He knows about the lie. He knows about the, the mess that you've made. He knows about the thing that nobody else knows about. And for those who are in Christ, you are completely forgiven. Listen, that's something worth saying amen about at least. All of us have wrecked our lives at times, every single one of us. But as a Christian, as someone who is truly following Christ, my life is not determined by the wrecks in my life, but in the death of Jesus Christ on that cross. And that's way bigger 
that's way bigger than the wrecks that I've made in my life, as big as they are. In John chapter eight, the Bible says that there was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, can you, people say, you know, we listen to the speakers and everything, but I want you to just, don't imagine it too much, okay? But I want you to imagine that for a second, okay? Caught in the very act of adultery. Now I'm gonna keep this PG, but can you imagine her vulnerability at that precise moment? Probably meant that she didn't have any clothes on. And they caught her in the act and they drug her out of the bed. They drug her out. They, they brought her outside. They threw her before Jesus who was teaching a crowd of people. You talk about shame. But watch very closely what Jesus does. In the time of this woman's worst nightmare in all of the shame and the guilt that she feels and what Jesus does also for us when we are in the same boat, come before him caught in our sin. So they bring this woman before Jesus and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you say, Jesus, that we should do? And the Bible says that the very first thing Jesus did was he bent down. He bent down. Now that may seem insignificant to you, but this is pretty cool. The creator of everything, <laughs> the God who spoke the stars into existence and this whole world into existence, he became man. That's who Jesus is, by the way, God. He became man. He bent down. He bent down and he humbled himself. Instead of standing over this woman, he demonstrates how he humbled himself below this woman in front of this crowd. And then he began to write something down. And nobody, scholars have tried to figure this out, what he wrote, nobody knows what he wrote. But the same God who wrote who spoke the stars into existence, who wrote, who authored the 10 commandments, that same God. The same God who wrote on the stone tablet, thou shalt not commit adultery. That same God. The one who placed that law into existence stood up and said to this woman, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they've left. And he says, I no longer accuse you. I don't accuse you either. Go and don't and lead that life of sin. He demonstrated to us at that moment that in Christ, you and I are completely, completely forgiven. Forgiveness is not something that we achieve. It's not something that you work really hard to have. and It's not something that you can earn or anything like that. It's not achieved, it's received. It's received. It's received. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, but you do have to receive it. That's the one thing that you have to do. You have to receive it. I'm with you. Sometimes, man, I don't feel, sometimes I don't feel forgiven. But the facts in God's word 
are greater than the shame and the guilt that we feel. So listen to me. What we have to do at this moment in time when we feel that way is go by the God's word because it's greater than the shame and the guilt that we feel, right? So listen to me. What we have to realize is that even when I don't feel forgiven, I just gotta celebrate that I'm forgiven. That seems so easy, doesn't it? But at the time, what difficult time we have doing that. We have to celebrate. I'm forgiven. We need to celebrate the cross. We need to celebrate that the tomb is now empty. We just have to celebrate that there is a God and he's alive today, that he knew every stupid, every foolish, every sinful thing that I would ever do in my life and he still humbled himself and he still let them put nails in his hands and hang him on a cross so that he could pay for our sins. The good news is that in Christ and only in Christ, you are, we are completely forgiven in my Final point for today. My last point is in Christ, and you've got time, so don't come up. Bear with me, guys. In Christ, I am unconditionally loved. Unconditionally loved. I grew up um, with, as you know, two older brothers, older brothers, and I'm not saying that to rub it in, but nine years older, Dan is me, seven is older than, Stan is older than me. And they always remind me that I was mom and dad's favorite. <clears throat> um, when I was very young, all of us, uh, we, we, I didn't know, we didn't know what a vacation was. Um, my dad ran his own business. My mom also worked out of the home. And we just, we just didn't go on vacation. It's, not, it's just something our family didn't do. And we kids didn't know this at the time. But apparently, my mom wanted my dad to take a vacation, and you know, I guess he just couldn't find a way to get away from you know the job and and you know his own business. So one day, when my dad came home from working hard, and he used to work hard too, Stan, myself, and my mom were gone. <laughs> Dan got left out; he was working already, and we headed for Texas to go on vacation. My dad didn't know a thing about it. And uh, we got to Joplin <clears throat> and found a hotel. And I remember mom called dad. Thought it'd be nice to let him know. <laughs> we, uh, we had gone on vacation. That was the, the worst night of vacation <laughs> ever. <laughs> Listening to the two of them talk on the phone, Dan, I'm sure, on one end and us on the other. And talking to my mom, I remember my mom crying and I'm fogging up up here. And I remember waking up the next morning and here we go, heading to Texas. We're going to San Antonio. <clears throat> to meet my dad, who was going to fly in. And uh, we were going to pick him up, and he was going to join us for vacation. Poor Dan, once again, left behind. (laughs) 
It's a great vacation. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> oh, mercy. I don't know, uh, wives, if I would recommend that approach. But every year after that, we went on vacation. <laughs> and I'm not talking to Texas to see the Alamo either. Um, by this time, my brothers were older and, you know, working and married or whatever. But they took me to Florida several times, um, San Francisco and L.A. and all over the United States and Hawaii a couple times. And, and um, it wasn't, Dan, that I was their favorite Uh, The truth is, my parents had more resources uh, when I came along, but they still say that I was their favorite. If any of you know me, you know that I love Apple. I could be the spokesperson for Apple. Uh, Great products. And the iPhones um, are awesome for so many obvious reasons, Walter. It's just incredible. Um, it has a place in there for my favorites. And so I have Crystal. Everybody know what I'm talking about. I have Crystal in there. I have my kids uh, in there in my favorites list. And I could just imagine if God, and he probably does have an iPhone, um, uh, <laughs> that, um, that you, you know, would be stored in his favorites list. Not Becky Copeland but favorite Becky, uh, not um, Randall Richardson, but favorite Randall, not, you know, Sierra Court Camp, but my favorite Sierra. I bet you we're all his favorite. You're the one that he loves. Oh, not me, Steve. You have no idea what I've done in my life, the mistakes that I've made, the past that I have. I'm ashamed. So when I can kind of figure this thing out, whenever I can kind of clean myself up a little bit, I know God's going to love me a little bit more then. And I'm going to tell you something. Nothing that you can do will make God love you anymore. Nothing. You might as well, just today, you might as well believe it. You might as well believe that you're his favorite, that you're on his favorite list today, right now. Now, he may not be um, pleased with all of your behavior, but that doesn't change his love for you. Despite your shortcomings, he still says, you're my favorite. Luke chapter nine tells the story of Zacchaeus and he was a tax collector. I've talked about him before. And back in those days, they were known as being super dishonest, uh, cheating people. Uh, uh, It was a shameful way to make a living back then. Um, People hated, I'm telling you, they hated tax collectors. Uh, uh, Now, The thing to know about Zacchaeus is that he is the chief tax collector in the town. And he was especially hated, Zacchaeus was. He was looked down upon uh, by everyone in town, um, figuratively and literally. 
one day Jesus came passing through town and, and, and word spread really quickly that he was going to be there. And everyone went out to try to get a glimpse of Jesus, including Zacchaeus. It was so crowded, throngs of people, and Zacchaeus was real short, and he couldn't see anything, so he decided that he would climb up into this tree, and it was this perfect position that he had the perfect view of when he would come, and soon thereafter, Jesus comes walking through town, and I could just imagine Zacchaeus was in awe. He had heard, of course, how Jesus had healed the sick, and of course, how he had opened blinded eyes and had healed lepers, and then finally raised people even from the dead. And now Jesus was passing right in front of him. It was an amazing moment. Hundreds were all around trying to touch Jesus, trying to get his attention. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all of the commotion, Jesus stopped. Everyone paused, thinking, why is he stopping? They got quiet. He's, he's going to say something going to say something. And Jesus turned and he looks up into this tree. Time stopped for Zacchaeus because you see uh, every eye now is focused on him. And he, Zacchaeus knew he was hated in that town. He was, he was despised. He knew that he had cheated these people, that, 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 that what he had done so wrong to each and every one of them. And, and he was waiting for Jesus to rip into him. But Jesus said, Zacchaeus, Come down from the tree. I'd like, I'd like to come over to your house, have some dinner. And at that moment, I believe, maybe it's not true, I don't know, but I believe that Zacchaeus felt something that he had never felt before. Something on the inside said to him, Zacchaeus, you're the one that he loves. Out of all of the people that were there that day, I mean, no doubt that there were rabbis there, that there were elders in the temple, that there were leaders in the town that were there. Jesus could have gone to dinner with any of them. But he was making a point, I believe, to you and I today, that you don't have to have it all together for God to love you. You don't have to clean yourself up, then come down from the tree. Then you can go to dinner with him. If that were the case, guys, none of us would have a chance. In those days, names, names were very, very, very meaningful. I can't stress it enough. They didn't name a person like we name them today. <laughs> It was very, like, they, the attribute that the person was to live up to that. If they looked like a certain, like an angel, somehow they, 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 you know, they would name the child like that. I mean, that's how they, they, they have meaning behind it. And what I find interesting is, is that the name of Zacchaeus means pure one. <laughs> I doubt if anybody in that town... Anybody in that crowd ever called him by Zacchaeus because of what that name meant? But I'm so sure that they called him more like you scumbag, you jerk, you cheater, you cheated my family, you crook, you fraud, 
That's what everybody was calling him. Jesus could have looked up into that tree and said, hey, you, come down. Hey, mister. Hey, sir, come down. Hey, somebody get up there and get that guy. But on purpose, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, pure one, come down. Come down. Come down. I want to go to your house. I want to have dinner. The religious leaders probably passed out. Why in the world would Jesus do something like that? Go to dinner with a cheater. Go with a, to dinner with a thief. But you see, we don't see people the way God sees them. We, we look at their behavior, don't we? We look at uh, how perfectly they perform. And God looks way beyond that. They saw a notorious sinner and God saw the one that he loved. Guys, you may have made mistakes and shame is just eating your lunch today. And like Zacchaeus, you got off course. You, you know you know you're not where you should be. But if Jesus came passing by today, I believe, I believe, I believe that he'd come to you today and he'd say, you're the one that he loves. You may be up in a tree, so to speak, ashamed, trying to hide like Adam and Eve did, dealing with issues yourself. Can I tell you something? We all have issues. All of us, no matter how pretty and good people look, we all have issues. But God is saying, come down, pure one. He's saying, come down, forgiven child. He's saying, come down, favorite one. I think why Jesus chose Zacchaeus over all of the other quote-unquote good people that were there was to let us know your performance doesn't determine God's love for you, but that he loves you unconditionally, unconditionally. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time loving people unconditionally. And don't look at me with judgment eyes because I know you all do too. Unconditionally. But you know who I, I can honestly say that I love unconditionally? My boys. <clears throat> As the worship team comes. And although they've been <laughs> wonderful blessings to me, I don't love them unconditionally because they've earned it. When they arrived, they cried. They cried at night. No sleep for mom during the weekdays. No sleep for dad on the weekends. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We got enough of them in here. And then, of course, comes the toddler year. They didn't earn. earn. <laughs> okay? You know what I'm saying? They got the teenage years. They didn't earn it. Okay? It's not like they earned our love. You know the reason why you love your children? Because they're your children. They're your children. You don't love them because of their performance. Although I will say my boys have already way outdone their father. You love them because of their position. 
You love them because they're your child. And you love them even when they're messy. And I want to talk to the person here today that your past is messy. You're here today even, and you're all messed up. And you have a hard time believing that God could actually love you. It's funny what God can teach us parents through our children. When the boys were just little, like toddler little, one night in the middle of the night, deep sleep. Always happens when you're in a deep sleep, parents. I woke up to bunch of commotion right outside the hallway of my bedroom and um, Dustin little guy had gotten sick he got I mean like he got sick got sick pajamas he got sick on the wall sick on the door right there got sick all over the carpet and Crystal doesn't do well with this and if she had to clean it up I'd be cleaning up two messes but I looked at all this mess all over and I'm like oh my gosh it was so gross and then I looked down and I saw my buddy didn't do I didn't say dad who you calling dad why don't you clean yourself up why don't why don't you clean that off that wall clean that off that carpet and then when you get all clean and you clean everything else up I'll let you come into my presence I'll let you call me dad no way man You know what I did to him as his father? I picked him up in all of his mess and I hugged him and I cleaned his mess up. You know what? Because I'm his daddy. And I'm way bigger than the little mess that he made. And we have a heavenly father who's bigger than the mess that we've made in our life. The price that he paid was bigger than the mess that we made. And in Christ, 
We are unconditionally, unconditionally, unconditionally loved. Listen to me very closely. I want everybody in the church, everybody in the bridge to hear me very closely. I'm not saying that the Bible gives us the excuse to sin. If that's what you're getting out of this, that's far from the truth and that's far from my point today. But listen, I even get nervous. Uh, me or any other preacher, when they preach about, on grace, and that's, that's when, listen to me, when I get nervous, that's when I need grace the most. Some pastors might say, oh, look, look, stay away from that. Don't teach grace. Don't go there. Because if you teach grace, they'll leave and go live however they want to live. But that's not true. Because when you really understand God's love, when you really understand his grace, when you really understand the, the purest form of it, you'll leave from here and do whatever he wants you to do in your life. Shall we stand? His ways are greater than our ways. In Christ, I am unconditionally loved. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what people have done to you. In Christ, in Christ, you are unconditionally loved and you are completely forgiven. And today, I want to say something here that if you are not in Christ, <clears throat> you can have that relationship starting right now. Every single person in this Bible needed the forgiveness of God. And if God did it for them, he can do it for you today. I don't know about you, so thankful that Jesus Christ completely forgave my sins. He made me into a brand new person and he unconditionally loves me. He has some, for some reason, I have no idea. He's got me on his favorites list.